Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. I want to do something different in today's talk for a little while. Usually at New Spring, we have something for you no matter where you are in your faith journey. If you're a committed Christ follower or you're new to following Jesus or you're still exploring, or even if you might be here and you don't believe yet, we hope there's always value in what you hear and learn at New Spring Church. But for a few moments, I want to do something rare. I want to talk specifically to those of you who've already accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But even if you're not a Christ follower or you're still exploring, I think you'll find this interesting because uh, it might be something that you've wondered about. You, you hear about Jesus and then you watch our lives. And actually the question that I'm about to ask may be the question that you have as an agnostic or an explorer. You may have that question about us. And so here it is. I'm going to ask those of us who follow Jesus a question. If you had to rank the priorities, the real ones, not the ones that we put on paper, if you had to rank the real priorities in your life, where would Jesus be? Now, I'm, I'm real specific about that. I'm not saying your faith. <laughs> we live in a culture where it's not safe to mention Jesus' name, but it's all right to say, my faith is important to me. That's kind of a generic term. It's kind of like people who say, well, I don't really believe in God, but I'm spiritual. Well, what exactly does that mean? It doesn't mean anything, really, other than you just believe there's something outside of yourself, which means a person in that situation is not a complete narcissist. But the question is not about your faith. It's about Jesus. And you guys know I, I love New Spring Church. I'm in my 37th year of being your pastor, and as much as I love New Spring Church, I didn't ask you where your church ranked among your priorities. That's a fair question. It's for another day. But I asked you about Jesus. Never forget that we're not in a religion. I know those of you who've been at New Spring through the years, you hear me say that all the time, ad finitum. I'm always talking about how this is not a religion. You see, religion is a nomenclature. Nomenclature means it's... It's a way of classifying thought. And we treat these nomenclatures in life as though they have real value, when in reality, <laughs> men came up with them just as a, an attempt to, as I say, classify thought. I have non-theist friends who will say to me, you're a person of religion, and we are people of science. But all these terms, religion, science, you can put any of the philosophy, you can put anything else you want to, those are all nomenclatures. They're all human created. And here's the bottom line for all of these. Unless they get to truth, they're worthless. I'd be the first to tell you that if religion doesn't get to the truth, it's bogus. But I'd tell you the same thing about science. Science doesn't get a pass because it's science. That's just a process. If science goes to the truth, then it's got value. If it doesn't, it's not valuable. You can call it science all day long and say, well, it, 
But it's the same thing with religion. All these things, all these things are human-made nomenclatures. And none is less valuable than the idea of trying to categorize thought according to a divinity or divinities, depending upon one's perspective and calling it a religion. It's all man-made. And it will not work. It will not be currency that will be good in the checkout lane in heaven. And it won't do any good to say, well, I was raised this way or my church taught this. At the end of the day, it will be, was it the truth? And I hope that all of us, no matter whether you're a longtime New Springer or you're brand new to New Spring, I would hope that every time we walk in those back doors, we will understand that this is not about a religion. It is about a person. And that week in and week out, we're not talking about subscribing to a religion. And human nomenclatures about religion tend to be this, jump through the hoops and, and perhaps the powers that are in the heavens will accept you. And I think on its face, no matter how religious we might be, we would all know that that concept is bogus. We're not in a religion. We're talking about allegiance to a person. And every week when I talk to you and I, I lead you in a prayer, I lead you in a prayer about accepting this person into your life and swearing allegiance to him. The last, or one of the last lines of that prayer, and it's not magic words, I'm just drawing them from the scriptures about people who prayed to accept Christ. One of the last lines of that sentence that I pray with you is, I receive you or I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior and my King. King. I mean, this is 2021, and I know the culture that you and I live in, and, and if people don't necessarily, or I have actually heard people articulate this, but most of the time people don't articulate this. It's sort of like, well, I will accept Jesus as my Savior, but I don't want to accept him as a king. Now, that can't be done, because Jesus is who he is. Please know, we don't make Jesus king. He was king long before the meter of our memory started running. He was king long before this world. He is king. There is no way to accept Jesus as Savior and not accept him as king. I'm really, really old, and I remember a song when I was a kid. And the song went like this, me and Jesus got a good thing going. Me and Jesus, we got it all worked out. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. I didn't work anything out with Jesus. He hung on a cross and rose from the grave long before I was ever born. The, the plan of salvation was worked out in the councils of heaven long before there was a universe. And we do not accept Jesus as a little bird on our shoulder giving us advice. There is only one way to accept him, and that is king. And kings rule. That is what they do. Kings do not suggest, they command. So, for those of us who are Christ followers, where exactly does Jesus fall among the priorities that actually shape and govern our lives? I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, I was just signing devotionals, and one of the things that people at New Spring are so kind to me, they'll say, Mark, thank you for being real. And it's your kindness to me that allows me to be real and not live in a glass house. So I'm going to be just really real with you for a moment and let you know that this is the question that haunts me more than anything else. 
It has been my life to be large and in charge. I didn't ask for that. It's just sort of where I am. And my personality type, I don't have a type A personality. I have a type AAA personality. <laughs> there are no pastels in my personality. And it's very easy for me to think that what is true is what Mark wants. To think what is true is what Mark thinks is true. It is so easy for me to think what is worth doing is what Mark wants to do. And I am in this group that I'm about to mention. We Christians are so good at doing what we want to do and sprinkling a little Jesus on it. And like I say, you could be here today and you say, Mark, I'm not a believer. You've probably noticed that, haven't you? You've probably noticed that we're really good at talking about Jesus, but really doing whatever it is that we want to do. And if I could get on my knees right now and plead with you to do something, I would do that. Please don't judge Jesus by us. Please don't judge Jesus by me. He is such a perfect Savior and King, and I'm such a flawed person. So for all of us who follow Jesus today, let's just blow away all the smoke and let's ask it this way. Is Jesus your King, really? Let's, that might be too heavy a question to deal with. Let's back it up a little bit, ask an easier question. Is he a king worth pursuing? You know, in 2021, there are a lot of things that compete for your attention. So the question for us today, is Jesus worth dropping everything? Let's go back to the first century and let's meet our heroes. And let's just say this. On paper, they would be the least likely people to kneel before baby Jesus and worship him. For one thing, they live a thousand miles away. They aren't Jewish, and they're very busy. You could be hearing today's talk, and you just say, "Mark, you know, I, I, ordinarily I'd be concerned about what you're talking about, but I'm just so busy. You're not as busy as these guys. We call them magi. But in reality, if you want to put a modern touch on this, they are the scientists of their day. They are the experts. They are the repositories of high-level information." Mathematics, physics, medicine, astronomy. These are the most brilliant people in the room, the most brilliant people in the world. If you like to study ancient history, you know how it is, how that one empire conquers another empire. But there was always a rule that empires had when they conquer another empire, and that was don't touch the magi. You know how it was. The Assyrians beat the Babylonians who beat the Persians and the Greeks and the Ptolemies and Seleucids and ultimately Rome. Well, you know, they would often kill the politicians, but don't touch the Magi. We need them. They were just too important. I don't know. This, I think this is my 30th Christmas series, and so every year when I'm getting ready for the Christmas series, I'm always hoping that I can give you something fresh to look at the story for. i got to tell you this. As many times as I've looked at the nativity and looked at the story of the birth of Jesus, this is the most intriguing part of the nativity scene. <laughs> Whether... Whether the wise men came to the stable or to a house a few days later, I'm an old debater from high school and college days. I think I could debate both of those. And at the end of the day, I honestly don't know. But this is still the most intriguing thing to me. I mean, the smartest men in the world, after traveling a thousand miles, kneel before the baby of a peasant couple and swear their allegiance to him as their king. 
There are a lot of beautiful, intriguing things that happen at the nativity, the angels singing, the shepherds coming, Mary and Joseph going to Bethlehem, the baby being placed in a manger. I mean, all these cool things. And yet at the end of the day, the one that intrigues me the most is why, is the most, why are the most brilliant people in the world kneeling before a baby of a couple who don't even have enough money to buy a lamb to dedicate him? Astounding. Put yourself in that picture. But probably... <laughs> Probably you could take any other part of the nativity scene and you are in that picture. You are there. And so that leads me to ask four important questions. And these are, these are the kinds of questions that get behind our grill and in our chili. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. As best as I possibly can, I'm going to ask the questions of myself and not you. And you can decide if you want to ask these questions. But these four questions about the Magi are so important that when we get the answer to these four questions, we will know if Jesus is our king. And here's the first one. I'm going to ask myself, would I have joined their trip? In my mind, I go back to Persia and I see them packing. So just like you saw in the sermon bumper video a few moments ago when DJ Mahana, he's the guy with the glasses. By the way, he's our animator on our staff, but he makes a great actor too, doesn't he? Well, just like in the, in the bumper video, the wise man asked DJ if he wants to travel with them. I think let's put ourselves back there and instead of DJ, it's you and me. And they're asking you and me, would you like to go with us? Well, you know, whenever somebody asks you if you want to go with them, it's reasonable to ask, well, what would that mean? And I hear them say, well, you'd, you'd have to drop everything you're doing. And we're like, oh, are you retired? And they're like, no, we have the most important jobs in the world. New Spring, and for those of you watching online and on television, I really do believe the most precious commodity in 2021 is not money, it's attention. Attention. We live in a culture where people can't even have a conversation with the people they, they love without being on their smartphones. Husbands and wives can't talk to each other, parents and kids, friends and friends. I mean, you know what it's like. You're talking to somebody, having a conversation, and suddenly that person zones out, and they're on their phone checking something out, you know, dinged on them. You know, we used to say it dawned on me. Now it just dings on us. I was in a restaurant the other day, and there was a couple that had to look like a little seven, eight-year-old boy. And it was a school day, and you could tell it was a rare day for him to be out having lunch with his parents. And you could tell he was excited. And I watched the entire time as this man and this woman were on their smartphones, and this little boy just stood there and looked into the... I mean, from the time they brought his dinner, he just sat there and ate in silence while his zoned-out parents ate as if he didn't exist. Now, I'm an old man, like I told you a few moments ago, so I'm like all old people. I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know what? What you're looking at on your phone is not important at all. And you got a kid there, and you got a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that you're never going to have again, and you're wasting and squandering it. And, and don't think I'm giving you a hard time because I can be right there with you. But there's not near as much important stuff on that smartphone as we think there is. Well, I think I'm going to have to ask that question of myself. Could I have dropped everything 
for the wise men. But we're not talking about just dropping stuff for a few minutes. We're talking about maybe a year. I mean, I'm asking the question what I've gone. So I would have, I've, had to, I've had to drop everything I'm doing. And then secondly, I think they would have said to us, you know what? It's not going to be comfortable. It's going to be uncomfortable. We, we work in ivory towers. We have the greatest jobs in the world. We work for the government. But you know what? What we're about to do now is going to last a year, and we're going to have to travel. We're going to sleep in a different bed every night. We're going to go through deserts, and we're going to deal with animals, and we're going to deal with thieves. But we're giving all that comfort up to go. So would we do it if it was uncomfortable? And then, as you saw in the video a few moments ago, they had a lot of unanswered questions. Well, those are deal breakers for a lot of people. Would I, would I have gone with them if it meant I had to drop everything? Would I, if it was uncomfortable, if I had questions that I couldn't answer? Maybe we need to ask another question for a few moments. Why would the smartest men in the world take this trip? And especially, why would these foreign experts travel a thousand miles when the religious elite in Jerusalem wouldn't travel five miles? New Spring Church, this is one of the most important things I'll ever tell you in a Christmas season. The answer is your answer about worshiping Jesus. The reason why they did comes back the word of God. The word of God. It's like, Mark, how did these guys who weren't Jews, who lived a thousand miles away, how did they have the word of God? Glad you asked. Wonderful answer. 500 years before, the captain of the Magi had been Jewish. He did know the word of God, and he taught these intellectual elites God's word. Then he came to Persia through some bad circumstances. Well, Babylon first. He was carried away captive as a young man, but the Babylonians had the idea that whenever they captured a power, they would take the best and brightest young people. They would inculcate them in their culture and then use them as emissaries or missionaries to their own people. And so when the Babylonians captured Judea, they got Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You may know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they taught them the ways of the Babylonians. But, but instead of the Babylonians... Having an impact on Daniel, Daniel had an impact on Babylon. And then you remember I told you, don't touch the Magi. So when the Persians overcame the Babylonians, Daniel rose to the top of that administration too. That's when he went to the lion's den. Well, the reason why these guys made this journey is Daniel had centuries before taught these intellectual elites the word of God. Genesis 3, that someday God would send his savior in the world. Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government will be upon his shoulders, his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. They knew that. Isaiah 7, 14, a virgin will have a baby. That is now every day. And they had Numbers 24. Of all people, God used Balaam to say, it isn't going to happen now, it's going to happen a long time in the future, but a great ruler is going to come, and oh, by the way, there is a visual manifestation in the sky. We have the word star. It's not a star. It's really just a light in the sky. And they had all that. And Daniel had left them with one more thing. He left them with a calendar. Daniel 9, 26. After a period of 483 years, the anointed one will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. <clears throat> they did the math. They were mathematicians. They knew that this king was going to die young, so when they were within 50 years of that 483rd year, they knew they were in the zone, and when they saw the star, you know. 
Which is why when they got to Jerusalem, they asked the question, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. We've come to worship him. They didn't say, was there a king born? They said, where is he? Because they had the word of God. Now, that could raise questions, too, because somebody, especially if you know ancient history, you would know these guys, you know, we sing that song, We Three Kings of Orionar. They probably weren't kings. More likely, they were king makers. These guys rub shoulders with kings every day. Why this king? Well, Daniel had told them, we read Daniel 9.26 a few moments ago. If we had read around that time, we would have understood that Daniel said, this particular king will do seven things. I'm not going to talk about all seven things, but there were two ultimately that this king would do. And this is why these guys got on their camels and went a thousand miles. Daniel said, when this king comes, he's going to know what to do with sin and guilt. And that's troubled intellectuals for years. I think it was Socrates who said to Plato, it may be that the Almighty can forgive sin, but I don't see how. And Daniel said, when this king comes, he's going to know what to do with our guilt. And then he says, he's going to make a perfect world. And the smartest guys in the world knew that no other king could do that. So today, I have to ask myself the question, would I have gone on the trip? And that takes me to a more difficult question now. Number two, would I stay on the trip if it meant going counterculture? Tough question for a lot of Christians today because following Jesus is always counterculture. And here's the deal. You have to be prepared for disappointment with people that should get it but don't get it. Let me just make this real blunt. Can you worship Jesus if the polls say you are wrong? Can, can you celebrate the truth of Jesus if the crowd does not go with you. I mean, the wise men had to do that. I mean, they had to stay on the trip even though they were disappointed by the crowd because I'm sure, I mean, I just love getting into their heads on that thousand mile trip. I mean, every day they had to say, you know, when we get to Jerusalem, it's gonna be crazy out there. I mean, it's gonna be a madhouse. We probably won't have any place to stay because the whole world is gonna be coming to Jerusalem to see this king like we are. Man, there's gonna be bunning and music and celebration and fireworks and parties, nonstop parties. And like, when we get there, it's going to be crazy. And yet when they get to Jerusalem, it's crickets. You know, if you look at the, the way the Greek language has it there in the New Testament, it says they just kept on asking everybody. They, they went to one person, where's the king? We don't know what you're talking about. You're talking about Herod? No, 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 the, the new king. No idea what you're talking about. Okay, well, maybe that guy's just, maybe he's not online. So we'll go over here. <laughs> Where's the king? Don't know, don't know anything about a king. I mean, can you imagine how disappointed it was because the crowd wouldn't go with them? Can you follow Jesus if the crowd doesn't go with you? Whew. Well, here's another question for 2021. What happens if the powers that be say you're wrong. Put it this way. What happens if the official position of the government is that Jesus is not a king worth worshiping? We might not be there, but we're headed that direction. Can you still follow Jesus? Here's a real tough one. What happens if the people who claim to be Christian say you're wrong? 
We live in an age where a lot, and I'm just being real blunt today because I'm talking to Christ followers. We live in an age where a lot of so-called Christ followers are trying to synthesize their beliefs with the beliefs of this tribulation-headed world. There are Christian magazines I used to read. I don't even open them up anymore because what is in there is such garbage, it's such babble because these are foolish Christians trying to find some way to fit Jesus into how this world looks at things. And that's not Christianity and it is absolutely zero, it's absolutely worthless in the checkout lanes of heaven. You say, I'm politically correct. You just want to make sure that you're politically correct when you walk into heaven. When I was a kid, <laughs> we used to sing a song. I still hear it every once in a while. It says, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And I remember there was a lyric that I loved then and I love now. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Still I will follow, no turning back. You understand that when the wise men got to Jerusalem and they asked, where is he, you know, and where is he, this born king of the Jews? And the reason why they didn't know Bethlehem was Daniel didn't have the book of Micah. It came a little later. So they get there and they ask Herod, the government, the government, where, where, where is the king? And Herod's like, I don't know. And, and, and he asked for the religious guys, the pastors and the theologians who should have known better. And they blew the dust off the Bible and they said, Micah said Bethlehem. Does it cross your mind that the pastors and the theologians wouldn't go five miles when the wise men came a thousand miles? Hey, I haven't been to Bethlehem. It's, it's, it's an Arab city. It's a little tougher to get into. But I've been to the little twin town. And, and, and honestly, you can get from Jerusalem to this town in five minutes. These guys traveled a thousand miles and the religious elites of their day would not, or traveled a thousand miles and the religious elites would not go five. Question three, would I bring a gift? You know the story of the wise men. They opened their treasures and presented them with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's interesting to me about their gifts. Their gifts were both intentional and practical. I mean, each one of the gifts they brought Jesus signified some aspect of his character. The gold, his deity, kingdom, frankincense, his priesthood, and then myrrh. Daniel said he was going to die young. Myrrh is what they used to wrap bodies in. But it was also practical because these were all, all worth a fortune. And you and I know the story how that Joseph and Mary had to go to Egypt for two years. And my gut instinct is this is what basically took care of them during those two years. Do I have a gift for Jesus? You know, <clears throat> gifts show honor, and honor means value. Do you ever get a gift that not a lot of thought went into? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Do you ever get re-gifted? I mean, <laughs> you like you open it up and like, oh, I love this. I loved it when I bought it for you. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> do you ever get a gift? It's like somebody went through their basement to look at stuff that they planned to throw away, and it's like, oh, wrap that up. <laughs> Especially a guy, you know. If you see me walk off the stage and not have this in my hand, you start yelling at me, okay? And it's the Bible. But 
It's no ordinary Bible to Mary Alice. Uh, we met in high school. I was a junior and she was a freshman in 1972. We met in debate class. <laughs> if you could be in our house, we're two pretty strong individuals. We're both really good debaters. But I remember as Christmas came up that first year, and we'd only known each other a few months, and I thought, well, I don't know for sure what to buy. And I thought, well, you know, you can't go wrong buying a Bible. And I still remember, it's strange. Huh? Next year, this Bible will be 50 years old. I still remember being in the store. I can remember the three color choices that I had. I picked burgundy. And if you opened it up, it would say presented to Mary A. McDonald by Mark Cooper on December 15, 1972. And you turn another page, and when we got married in 1977, Mary Alice added this, and, and then there's the verse, Jonathan Mark Hoover, July of 1981, Jared Michael Hoover, 1983, Stephen Paul Hoover, 1994. It's been through a lot. I mean, you know, I was, there's stains on here from a car accident that we had, and been through a lot of things. And I'm sure I bought Mary Alice a lot of gifts in the last 49 years, but this one's probably the most precious. And like I say, if I start walking off stage to go back and sign devotions and I don't have this with me, you start yelling at me or else I'll be. <laughs> Do I have a gift for Jesus that's intentional? You guys know, I, I, I rarely ever talk about money at New Spring, but I'm not squeamish at all talking about money for people who are going through hard times. We have Project Generosity, and by the way, if you're watching online or watching on television, I never ask you for funds, but this is one if you just want to participate in, we'd love to have you participate. Union Rescue Mission for people who are homeless and hungry. It's Helping Hands, Clothing, and household necessities for people who can't afford them. Fresh hope for women who've had hope ripped away from them. Many of them have been beaten, abused, giving them a new start, training and development for being self-sustaining, martyrs, people around the world that are being beheaded and tortured for their faith in Jesus. Who is it that puts food on the table for their little ones? Who is it that finds a way to get them out of the country that they're in? I think Jesus would like that. I got under such conviction at 4 o'clock, I decided we were going to double our gift. The Bible says real religion, the kind that passes muster before God is this, reach out to the homeless and the loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from this corrupt world. I, I, I think Jesus would like that. Let's get radical this year, New Spring. And now the final question, and I'll be through. Would I worship with them? This is the big one. They saw the child, the Bible says, and his mother, and they bowed down, bowed down and worshiped him. You know, I find myself saying, I love worship. I love to worship. And, and a lot of times what I'm meaning by that is I love to sing, and I do. I love, and that's part of worship. 
And I love to raise my hands. And that's an act of worship too. But those are all manifestations. They're not worship. They're, they're ways of manifesting our worship. Worship is the most challenging thing for us. See, I think I would have done the first three. I think I would have traveled with them. I've proven by my life that I'm not afraid to go counterculture. I can deal with disappointments. And I honestly believe I would have brought a gift. But this last one, to take what Mark wants, to take how Mark thinks, to, think, to take Mark's opinions, and yes, to take Mark's plan for his life. And take it all and place it at the feet of Jesus and say, not what I want, but what you want. Not what I think, but what you think. That's what worship is. That's what real worship is. And without this one, the first three don't mean much. I end today where I started by asking those of us who follow Jesus Christ... Where does Jesus rank on our priorities? The way the Magi said it was this. Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Not them. We have come to worship him. If I can answer those four questions, then I know if Jesus is my king. I close today with this, this, because I said at the beginning of the talk, it could be that you're here and you're not sure you're a follower of Jesus yet. It could be that you're still exploring. It could be that you walked in and you say, Mark, I don't believe in God. But after hearing today, I understand that Jesus is a little different than I thought he was. And, and the thing about it is, going to heaven is not a matter of joining a religion. It's a matter of accepting a gift that God has given you through Jesus Christ. See, he lived the life you can't live, and then he died the death on the cross that paid for your sins so that your sins could be dragged and clicked under Jesus and his righteousness can be clicked and dragged and placed under your name. And the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So even though we're in overtime for a few moments, if you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to know for sure that I'm going to heaven. I want to know for sure that my sins are forgiven. Then I want to encourage you to pray with me. And these are not magic words. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, I take that to be prayer. But if you want to pray this with me, you can. Okay, I'm going to pray it slowly. Please bow your head with me and pray, all of us praying. And praying for those who will make this decision. Dear God. I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for adopting me. In Jesus' name, amen. One more second. If, if you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. If you're watching online or on television, you can just follow the instructions and we'll mail this out to you. No strings attached. There's a Bible in here, New Spring Bible. There's a book I wrote called My New Walk with God that'll answer a lot of questions. There's a cool journal and some coupons, totally free. Look at the colors here. All the info centers have this color. That's how you can recognize it. 
Just text the word PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000, and they'll be ready for you when they get, I promise you, they won't bother you at all. They just want to give you this gift. If you don't have your phone, just go back and say, I pray with Mark. That will work. See you next weekend. God bless. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.